This is episode 43 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today's articles are How to Be a Gray Man, Seven Best Ways to Cook Without Electricity, and an Interview with Survivor Jane. Hey, my name is Todd Sepulveda. I'm the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily aggregator of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. And let's go ahead and get started today. Our first article comes to us from SmartPrepperGear.com. And again, the title is How to Be a Gray Man. And I'll have to say, this is one of the the better articles that I've read recently on being a gray man. So uh, just, uh, you're in for a treat. All right, here we go. In a popular TV series called Homeland, there was a young CIA agent by the name of Carrie who was stationed in Iraq. Her job was to investigate terror cells in order to be exterminated in the war on terror. In part of her investigation, she was being followed by a group of young men in a village marketplace. Carrie noticed the young men followed, following her and quickly went into gray man mode. She understood how to be a gray man from years of experience and training. Carrie was already dressed similarly to the locals. The locals were mostly Muslim where the women wore hijabs. She was able to quickly wrap her face and blend into the crowd. She maneuvered toward a clothing store that had more Muslim women shopping. Carrie was able to quickly buy a new hijab and walk out of the store losing her trail. It could be that the men following her had intentions to kill her. She not only understood how to be a gray man, but was able quickly to recall her training to lose her tail. This displays how powerful and useful being the gray man truly is, even if you're a woman. The gray man concept is a popular concept in the prepper community, which is adopted from military and CIA operatives. This concept has helped these organizations complete undercover missions to make out enemy targets unnoticed, or to take out enemies' targets unnoticed. It has also helped many operatives escape and evade their enemy. The gray man concept helps you to avoid being a target. There are essentially three strategies that you can implement to avoid being a target. Those strategies include become a threat so that you don't appear to be an easy target, or the weak and unsuspecting make easy targets, move from your attacker while they are not vigilant, escape and evasion, and blending into a crowd to avoid drawing attention to become a target. Each strategy has its application and are extremely powerful strategies to use. Knowing how to be a gray man is not only important for escape and evasion situations, but living everyday life as a prepper. In this post, we will talk about what, why, when, and how to be a gray man. What is the gray man? The gray man theory is about blending in so that you don't become a target. This could be not only when you are escaping from someone, but maybe before an SHTF scenario happens. You don't want to draw attention to yourself so that people can remember you. The gray man doesn't only draw attention, but they are hard to remember. The typical gray man is ordinary in every way. He blends in with his environment. In other words, the gray man doesn't stick out like a sore thumb. There are some natural features that we have no control over that hinders us from being the gray man. For example, the typical gray man is average in height and weight. For someone like Shaquille O'Neal, it's almost impossible to be a gray man because someone like that is memorable. The dude is is a monstrous beast. However, there are some other features that you have control over that help us to be the gray man. The typical gray man has no memorable body features such as tattoos, piercing, or flashy clothing. Why be a gray man? There are a couple of reasons why you would possibly want to be a gray man. Those two reasons primarily have to do with a pre-SHTF and post-SHTF scenario. During an SHTF scenario, it is more challenging to remain a gray man. 
Before SHTF, you don't want someone to see you as a potential target should they ever get the chance. For example, if someone knows that you are stocked with gear and supplies, then they will remember that when, when they have nothing. When it comes to survival, people will sacrifice many things regardless of the cost. Another important reason why you should know how to be a gray man is in a post-SHTF scenario. In case you are forced to escape from someone or a group of people, you will need to know how to be undetectable. When to be a gray man. When SHTF people who are desperately looking for food and survival items will suddenly remember all the gear and supplies that you have. Many will be able to recall the preparedness lifestyle that you live. That is why it is important to remain the gray man at all times. Essentially, being the gray man will be important when you need to disguise yourself so that you can go undetected for some reason or another. Now, being the gray man when bugging out may not be realistic. During a bug out scenario, everyone will be a target regardless of how gray or undetectable you try to be. This is why it is so important to determine if and when to bug out. For example, if you look back at when Hurricane Katrina hit Louisiana, it was hard to go undetected from the bad guys. Even ordinary, everyday people were being robbed and killed for food and supplies to survive. Yes, bad guys may target the easier looking targets first, but everyone will be a target nonetheless. How to be a gray man. Stay consistent with the baseline of your environment. If you live in a hot and humid state, then you would definitely stand out and catch attention if you are wearing clothing for cold temperatures. If you are vacationing in a non-tourist destination, then you are going to stand out if you are walking around with a bad camera around your neck and a fanny pack around your waist. Bad guys love tourists because they are generally easy targets with a large payout. Unless you live on a military base, then you shouldn't wear tactical apparel such as tactical pants. This type of apparel is just advertising to the bad guys that you have guns and gear. Unfortunately, bad guys love the easy access to guns and gear. Be average. The typical gray man doesn't dress flashy or stylish. They normally don't wear jewelry or clothing that promotes associations or branding. For example, if you are walking around with a Louis Vuitton purse, then bad guys know that you are walking around with money. The purse itself will earn them a pretty dollar. The designs and patterns are especially well known by experienced thieves. Associations and brandings are memorable. If you wear pro-Second Amendment clothing, then most likely the people that you associate with know what you support. Yes, it does help promote the pro-gun agenda, but also makes you a target by anyone who is anti-gun. In case there is ever government push on this, you will be called out by many. Don't appear as a soft target. Appearing out of shape and weak makes you an easier target than someone who is in shape. Bad guys know that you won't be able to properly defend yourself. These are the type of people they go for. Now, I'm not saying that you should become a supreme extreme bodybuilder. That again will draw attention. However, you should be in enough shape to properly protect yourself and intimidate the potential bad guy. Altogether, these would be my tips on how to be a gray man. If you have any suggestions or feedback, please leave it in the comment section below. Your feedback helps the prepper community prepare the smart way now so that we can thrive later on. So uh, there are a few comments there you might want to just kind of go and check out. Um, so the only thing that I would disagree with on this this article is being the smart uh, or the gray man, sorry, be the, the gray man all the time. Um, you know, as as uh, a person who believes in preparedness, I I I'm not one that just completely completely you know keeps keeps it to myself. I'm sharing that with other people as soon as I feel comfortable with them, as soon as they uh, they know me. Um, you know, people can hit me on on uh, the internet and they can find you know prepper website really really easily and so you know there's not a lot of hiding it 
So I'm not trying to be the gray man all the time, but there are times where I just want to be, you know, just want to do, do my thing and, and, and blend in like everybody else. And there are times when you want to do that. So maybe practicing that, uh, you know, practicing that from time to time. And then there's some of you who are listening to this who don't agree with me on that on the the opsec situation on the on the uh, being the gray man. I mean, you feel like you need to be the gray man all the time, and I totally understand that. Um, you know, that's just a different philosophy that I have. And uh, a lot of people I, I know in the preparedness community are starting to have that as well. But definitely, you need to know the the theory behind this, the the gray man and be able to uh, you know go there if you need to. I, I, I think so, definitely. All right, so because this is Wednesday, we do have an interview for you, and uh, I'm really excited about this one. Um, This interview is with Survivor Jane, and I know Survivor Jane from early, early on. Um, Being in education, one of the things that um, a a lot of educators, at at least K-12, through use Twitter for uh, professional learning networks. And so if you're an educator, you'll exactly know what I'm talking about, probably. Um, so, you know, we connect with other people on Twitter. We learn from them. Uh, I've even incorporated that into my Prepper website Twitter handle. You know, some people, they, they follow me and then they, they, uh, they unfollow me on Twitter because they want me to follow them back. And I use my Prepper website Twitter for purely for just, you know, taking in uh, news. And so if you'll look at the people that I'm following on Twitter, it's just all news agencies. And so I'm, I'm always trying to, you know, if something is, is happening, and I've talked about that before. But um, so I incorporated, when I started uh, into preparedness, I incorporated the same ideas, looking for preparedness things and, and survival and all that kind of stuff, um, you know, even on Twitter, because that was, I was familiar that you could go to Twitter and you could learn a lot. You can get a lot of information, they, all the hashtags and people out there. I mean, there's still a lot of people in preparedness on Twitter, not so much as in Facebook. And, and, and you know, even if you want to get information, you can go to Pinterest and websites and all, all that kind of all that kind of stuff, but definitely on Twitter you can interact, and there's a lot of people on there. So when I was doing it, I found Survivor Jane, and, and Survivor Jane's big thing uh, back in the day, I don't know how prevalent it is now, but uh, Prepper Talk is there, and you still hashtag it. There's still people you know, doing Prepper Talk and, and hashtagging Prepper Talk, and, and there's, a, there's a community there. I just don't know how big it is. At one point, I know that it was, it was really, really big. Um, but that's how I, I got to know her and got to know her website, uh, you know, had some conversations, and I've been able to review uh, the book that she's going to talk about here, and uh, just just different things. So uh, I, I was really happy when she was on Doomsday Preppers, not because of Doomsday Preppers, but because I finally got to put a face to the person. You know, you, I don't know if you ever are like that, where you want to like actually see the person's face. Uh, I've talked about that before on on websites. And so you actually are like, okay, hey, that's Survivor Jane. You know, it's not the little cartoon figure that she has uh, on her on her um, on her website. But anyway, so a lot of good information here. Uh, she took a lot of time to write this out, type this out, and so uh, I think you're gonna you're gonna you know I think you're gonna enjoy this. So let's go ahead and get started on this one. All right, interview with Survivor Jane. First question: Tell us a little bit about yourself and your preparedness. Please include why you started prepping. Actually, I am really no different than the majority of your listeners. I was a sheeple. I lived the life of bliss and oblivion for the better part of my life. I am married to a lifelong prepper, but just chalked his life choices as a throwback from his Boy Scout days and time spent hunting with his dad and brothers in the woods of New Hampshire. 
But for me, I was a Florida girl, raised there from the age of two on, and my focus was on socialization and networking. My school years were filled with parties, dances, and drama club. What girl doesn't come with a little drama, right? Academics and future goals came second. This came mainly as a result of my mother being the oldest of nine siblings and being charged with their care for the most part so that her mother and father, my grandparents, could take on as many jobs as necessary to feed, clothe, and house their family. My mother didn't want this for me or my older two sisters. She wanted us to experience life, and I did. My parents were salt of the earth, simple, God-fearing people that would help anyone in need. They were both my moral compass. My dad was just like most dads. He could fix anything with a little bit of duct tape, wire, and Elmer's glue, to my horror and embarrassment at times. But as I watched him as a little girl, I picked up on many of these MacGyvering methods and tricks of his and now used them myself. I soon grew up, went to college, and entered the field of law where I thrived as a legal researcher. I loved my job, the excitement of working downtown, rubbing shoulders with all the who's who and those power lunches with the big guys. Our income afforded us a life in a nice gated community, luxury cars, and all the toys that our income could afford. But soon, my little cushy world began to unravel. First was the stock market crash. I was literally losing 7000 a month from my 401k. That was to be our retirement. I had been socking away money for 18 years. This money was going to allow us to live in comfort and not have to be concerned about anything. That's the American dream, right? I watched as my future retirement went down the drain fast. Next came the housing market crash. Our beautiful community was slowly turning into a renter's paradise as homeowners who were trying to avoid foreclosure rented their homes out to anyone and everyone who could pay the hefty mortgage, even if it meant multiple families living under the same roof. And with all this tragic traffic came crime. Nightly, sheriff helicopters would fly over the house with their huge spotlights, scanning the neighborhood looking for the bad guys from the latest break-in or crime. I literally began to live in a prison. I would come home, hit the garage door opening, park my car, and go in a house filled with motion detectors, glass sensors, and alarms. But the final straw came when on a beautiful sunny afternoon, as I was living my high, leaving my high-rise office complex, I was held up at gunpoint by two men in an attempted carjacking who had just robbed and pistol-whipped a man at an ATM machine. Thankfully, someone had reported the crime and I was surrounded by police vehicles before my vehicle with me in it could be taken and used as a getaway vehicle. Beside the guns pointed at me, the scariest part of the ordeal was that this was in broad daylight, there were people walking up and down the sidewalk and people in cars passing by, witnessing what was happening and no one did anything to help. This happened in 2008. Rick and I decided to make some huge changes. We quit our corporate jobs, withdrew what little was left in our 401k, sold our home for what seemed like pennies on the dollar, and moved to WNC, Western Northern North Carolina, to create a more sustainable lifestyle. My parents had retired from Florida to North Carolina, so I knew a little bit about the area, enough to know that before our decision to move, it would be the last place I would ever want to live. After all, it takes 45 minutes just to get to the nearest store, and that's a Walmart. But we also knew that things were not getting any better where we were and was forecasted for far worse. My parents had a garden and mom would preserve the food they grew. They weren't preppers in name, just wise people who knew that harsh winters could bring isolation from being snowed or iced in for days or weeks. They also knew the value of a dollar and how to fix things instead of replacing. After our move, my parents were going to be my prepper mentors. 
I was going to learn how to do things. Oh, along with having a social life, mom also didn't want her girls stuck in a kitchen cooking all the time. So, my sisters and I didn't have a clue about what to do in a kitchen. Mostly out of convenience, Rick and I would just eat out beforehand. For nine months, I drove my parents around when they needed to go into town. I soon learned that going to town meant running errands or going to an appointment. My dad was the only one who drove. My mother never learned, so I liked giving my dad time to actually look around and enjoy the view. For nine months, I also watched as my mom and dad did things, while Rick worked on building our home. But there was this one day when I had an appointment of my own and wasn't able to drive my parents to their appointment. It was on this day, after nine months of me continually driving them, that their vehicle was broadsided by another vehicle who had run a stop sign at 55 miles per hour, killing my parents instantly. This was when I realized that you can't rely on others to get you to where you need to be. You have to learn it and do it for yourself. <clears throat> Just a little side note there. Uh, stop reading. That's a tough story, man. Tough place to be in. Uh, but I'm glad Survivor Jane recovered from that. Continuing on. After my parents' death, I began to research preparedness, but came up more confused than educated. Most sites were geared towards men, military men, hunters, weekend gun collectors, patriots. And they all seemed to talk the same talk. Boy talk. I figured if I was this confused, there had to be more women out there who were too. So I created SurvivorJane.com to share what I was learning in a more conversational tone. I would explain what all those weird acronyms meant and why preparedness was so important. I also shared my trial by fire successes and fails as I learned to be self-reliant. Next question. What are your main preparedness concerns? What are you prepping for? Rick has always gone with the mantra, you plan for one, you plan for all. And that is what I have learned to go by as well. I try to instill with my audience as well. Most disaster scenarios will require the basic fundamentals of survival, which for those of you not sure of what they are, they include food, water, shelter, protection, warmth, first aid, and the hundreds of other subcategories depending on who you ask. These are the basic needs of survival. The other stuff, the consumer goods, is merely fluff. If you can't make a fire, procure water, find a way to nourish yourself and family, make shelter, and protect your family, homestead, and belongings, then unfortunately, you may not survive a disaster. So, in a long-winded answer to your question as to what am I prepping for, survival, period. I want to live to tell about it. Next question. Has your preparedness changed over the years and why? Absolutely. It's just like anything in your life you do. The more you do it, the more it becomes second nature. Preparedness is not a hobby for us. We live it every day in our self-sustaining solar home with a huge garden created by my hubby, Rick Austin, author of The Secret Garden of Survival, How to Grow a Camouflage Food Forest, using no fertilizers, pesticides, or insecticides. We preserve our own food and we tend to our livestock of 60 plus animals. This preparedness stuff was all new to me. I was a one cat person who lived her life in a consumer world of shoes, handbags, and clothes. I have since learned that all bugs do not need to be squished or swatted at. If you care for your animals, they will take care of you. And that goat, chicken, and duck poop on the bottom of your boots at the end of the day means you did something productive. As a result of living what we are teaching, my husband and I have been featured on Doomsday Preppers, Newsweek Special Edition, Off Grid, and Germany's Galileo TV. And after doing the speaking circuit for a few years and getting frustrated by all the consumerism of prepping, Rick and I decided to create an event we would like to attend. It's called Prepper Camp. 
held every year in September in Saluda, North Carolina. It is a three-day outdoor event with 64 different classes a day, all hands-on, taught by some of the top preparedness people in their fields. It is a camping event that gives the attendees an opportunity to try out all the gear they have purchased that has been sitting up on the shelf waiting to be used, or learn how to use something before they purchase it. It is an advanced ticket event with no tickets sold at the door. The reason for this is this event takes planning on the part of the attendee, some coming from as far away as California, and we want to make sure that they have the best experience possible and are not competing for time to talk with the speaker one-on-one or a place to sit by someone attending because they saw that an event was going on that weekend. You know the tire kickers just looking for something to do for the weekend. You can actually get a feel for the event by going to www.preppercamp.com. Tell us about your website, podcast, or YouTube channel. What is your main focus? Initially, the main focus of my website, Survivor Jane, and all of my social media networks for that matter, was preparedness for women. I wanted to show that you don't have to give up your womanness to be prepared. I shared with them my experience in trials by fire and showed by li- and showed by living it that preparedness is not about giving up, but about planning ahead. What ended up happening, though, because I write in a more conversational tone on my site, I tended to have as many male followers as women. So I would have to say now my mission is education on preparedness for any and all. As you know, natural disasters don't discriminate by color, religion, or gender. We all need to be responsible for ourselves. Do you have any upcoming projects that that listeners might be interested in? I have a new book out that was inspired by my mother. My mother used to take a word puzzle book with her to appointments for her or my dad and work on them while she waited. Well, as mental preparedness is just as important as physical preparedness, I thought what a great way to teach preparedness in a fun, non-threatening, or doom and gloom way and strengthen your thinking cap as well. Puzzling Over Preparedness, Survivor Jane's Word Search Puzzle was released in November 2016. It has 100 puzzles and 100 ready-made preparedness lists to take the work and confusion out of learning to be better prepared yourself, to better prepare yourself and your family. Another passion and concern, as well as survival hygiene, something I think is overlooked a lot in prepping. My book, Emergency Survival Hygiene, has recipes to make your own grooming aids using things you would normally have in your food pantry, from deodorant to toothpaste to shampoo and conditioner. More info on these books and others at www.survivorjane.com. What would you like to say to the Prepper Website Podcast listeners? Please don't make preparedness a hobby. I have noticed a lot of so-called preppers becoming really lackadaisical. It's very concerning. We all need to keep in mind that disasters know no time. They can strike at any time, any place, and affect us all. Family, friends, neighbors. It is our responsibility to be prepared. Think about this. First responders may be spread too thin if a disaster strikes to bring you a drink of water when you're thirsty. If you have your own survival preps, this will give those responders time to help those who really did it. Have what you need on hand. Focus on your basic needs first. Learn skills, how to do things, how to make things. Prepping is not all about buying. And please don't be a Pino or prepper in name only, thinking you are prepared because you have all this cool prepper gear. You will only be hurting yourself and loved ones. If you don't know how to use things, in other words, don't buy and not try. Where can people find you? Links, social media, etc. I am on just about all the social media networks. Twitter, Facebook, Google+, LinkedIn, Instagram. The best way to find these links is to go to my website, www.survivorjane.com. Or if you would like to learn more about me, you can Google Survivor Jane. 
Thank you so much, very much, for inviting me to be a part of the Prepper Website Podcast and allowing me to share what Survivor Jane is all about. Remember, we're all in this together. Great, great interview, I thought. Uh, and it's a written interview. You know that by now, those of you who've been listening for a while. Uh, because I record this late at night, I, I asked people that I interviewed to, uh, to do a written interview, and I thought she did a great job, including a lot of information. You know, it's, it's, it's neat to know where people are coming from. And that's why I asked that question. Uh, you know, what got you started prepping? Uh, you know, and so you get that background information that she was just a regular person wanting a good life and and there's some events in life that started to turn and started to uh, make her think about you know what was really truly important and so a lot of great information a great story there Uh, i will um uh, encourage you to uh, go check out survivorjane.com there's a lot of good information over there so i'm going to link to that in the show notes uh, episode 43 show notes and so you can go directly go over there or just go to survivorjane.com all right, so let's go ahead and go to our last article of the, of the podcast. Uh, this article comes to us from Homestead Survival Site. Uh, and it, this is an article or a topic that I've been thinking about recently, just alternative ways to cook. And so that's kind of why it, um, it, it just came to my mind and, and wanted to bring this up. Uh, you know, we definitely had it on Prepper website. And so I want to share it with you. It's, the title of the article is Seven Best Ways to Cook Without Electricity. So let's go ahead and get into this. And uh, as you're as you're listening to the this article, be thinking about you know how many how many different alternative ways do you have to cook? All right. Then I want to come back and just talk very briefly about this. Picture this: a rogue comet enters the Earth's atmosphere, interfering with the all electrical waves and causing internet heating, light, and worst of all, electric cooking to become obsolete. Equally plausible: a tree falls down during a winter storm taking your power lines with it big big uh you know uh extremes there all right here we go continuing on either way while your friends in the in the burbs are in a panic trying to figure out how to cook the last bit of raw chicken in the fridge without electricity you're cool as a cucumber you have been preparing for this moment for years you've got charcoal grill propane stoves and solar powered ovens all ready to cook up a storm No matter what happens in this big bad world, you will be able to keep your belly full and your mind sharp. Using materials from nature and inventory that can be stocked up for years at a time, you'll always have fuel to heat and cook your food. You can live off the land with whatever meat you can catch and wherever veggies, whichever veggies you can grow as long as you learn how to cook without electricity. Here are seven ways to do it. Number one, a backyard bonfire. What you'll need, kindling, logs, lighter, metal rack, or metal skewers. Before you get ahead of yourself, realize that building the perfect bonfire takes practice and skill. To start with, you are going to need a mixture of wood, super dry kindling to catch the flame, and bulkier pieces of wood like logs to keep the fire going. The only way to get this fire building art formed down precisely is to practice. With trial and error, you'll learn exactly how to stack the wood in order to get that perfect flame with which to cook. No one gets it just right on the first try, but over time, fire building becomes second nature. You can cook veggies, meat, and of course, s'mores on a backyard bonfire. Go hog, hot dog style by untangling a metal coat hanger or purchase make a metal grill rack to barbecue your food. Pro tip, if you are using the rack method, try wrapping your food in foil or banana leaves to prevent it from burning. Number two, a gas stove. What you'll need is stove, a propane gas or butane, a sturdy surface, and cookware. 
You might already be using one of these gas stoves in your home or on, on your camping trips. They are so convenient and so easy to use with the twist of a knob. You can choose between a larger gas stove with four burners that is fit to feed the whole family or a portable single burner stove that you can take with you on the go. Both run on a form of gas, whether that form, uh, whether that's from a standard propane tank, which you can order online and refill at a local gas station, or the smaller butane canisters, which you can easily stock up on now. With a gas stove, you can cook exactly the same recipes as you would with an electric stove. Simmer soup, sizzle veggies, or whip up a classic pasta dish. This method gets the job done. Barbecue grill. What you need is a barbecue grill, a long grill lighter, propane, grilling utensils. Using a barbecue grill is ideal when the weather is mis misbehaving. The sturdy lid provides a shield from the wind and rain, and it's propane fueled, which has no sensitivities to temperature or wetness outside. The propane tanks can be bought from your local hardware store or online. Store a few in your shed or take the empties to a local gas station to fill up if the situation permits. To make sure that your barbecue lasts well into the future, show it some love with the barbecue cover to keep it from rusting and weathering outside. These big barbecue grills have so much space that you can throw food for the whole neighborhood on there. Your veggies, some steaks, some foil wrapped salmon, they all fit. You don't have to compromise on flavor or cooking precision with these bad boys either. When the world is going to hell around you, there is nothing like a nostalgia of a juicy steak to take your mind off things. Number four, charcoal grill. What you need is a kettle grill, charcoals, long grill lighter, grilling utensil. Shout out to Weber for making the best kettle grill that has lasted my family and me almost 10 years now. These grills have been made to stand the test of time and are simple, super simple to use. To cook with a kettle grill, throw a mo moderate amount of charcoal in the base of the kettle grill, light with a lighter cover, and wait for them to start smoking up a storm. Kettle grills always turn out something amaz some amazing meals. With every cook, you're going to get this deep smoky flavor that just can't be beat. You can get a crispy cook on your veg veggies and, juice sears and juicy sears on your meat with no trouble at all. Deer, rabbit, pork, steak, you name it, and the charcoal grill will take it to another level. Pro tip. Best to cook with a beer in hand. <laughs> Number five, a rocket stove. What you need? A rocket stove, kindling wood, lighter, metal cookware. The rocket stove is practically foolproof, I tell you. With its genius engineering and straightforward method, even a monkey could figure it out how to cook with this thing. Named rocket stove due to the shape, which hardens, hardnesses, harnesses heat in the base of the stove, which is then pressurized to pu push all of the energy out the top just like a rocket. The beauty here is that you need just a handful of wood to get the stove cooking. That's all. As long as the heat is being generated in the base, you're good to go. Using metal pots and pans just like any other stove will help you cook a nice meal. The only downside here is that there isn't a precise way to control the heat like you could with a knob-controlled stove. Despite that, this is a reliable way to cook without electricity when you're in a pinch. You can also make your own rocket stove with homesteader materials like cinder blocks or steel beams. A quick YouTube search will show you how. Number six, a volcano grill. What you need is a volcano grill, fuel of choice, charcoal, propane, wood, and a lighter. The volcano grill will never let you down, no matter how little resources you may have. You can find something to break or bend that will light a fire in this grill. The volcano grill has the ability to run on propane, charcoal, wood, old leaves, paper, anything that burns. The, de the design of this grill helps cultivate heat and fire like a dream. This multi-purpose cooking contraption serves as a grill, a stove, an oven, and a wok. What more could you ask for? When you finish, the Volcano Grill compresses down to about 5 inches tall, which makes it perfect to take on a trek or easy to store in your car or kitchen. Pro tip. 
When cooking with charcoal or wood, it's best to cook outside to avoid breathing its fumes. I would just add you want to cook probably any meal outside uh, that has a fire or a flame. Uh, Solar-powered oven. Um, especially if you're using especially if you're using wood or charcoal okay solar powered oven what you'll need solar powered oven and cookware the solar powered oven has been used around the world on different continents across different cultures for years and years this version just happens to be the best the solar powered oven uses reflective and insulated walls to trap the sun's rays and create an oven like space the temperature here can reach up to 285 degrees fahrenheit without the use of electricity propane or fire you can make omelet soups and grilled cheese sandwiches with no trouble at all. Meat like chicken or fish can also cook in here with a little bit of patience. It might take more time, but it will get there in the end. Now, do you believe me? There is life outside of the electric stove, people. As you get familiar with these homestead cooking methods, you'll certainly discover that cooking outside of electric adds delicious flavor to your meals and might even help you save a few bucks on your monthly electricity bill. You'll do, you'll, you don't have to wait for a wild storm to knock down your power lines or for aliens to zap our power grid in order to stop, start cooking survival style. Practice makes perfect, so experiment, play, and discover a whole new way of life off the grid. Thanks for reading. Don't forget to like us on Facebook. All right, so uh, just a couple of, of um, uh, comments here on this one. Uh, I've never worked with a volcano st stove before or grill before. Uh, so I'm interested in looking looking into that one, uh, but I would say the the propane grill or barbecue grill. So up in the country, we're we're off grid. My dad's place is off grid. We he has uh, one of his older barbecue pits that he took from the house, took it up there, he left it up there, and he has a burner on the side. So we we can do barbecue, we can barbecue up there, and you can also, you have a burner to heat up if you're going to do bacon and eggs or whatever in the morning, you have that, and it's easy to do. So um, definitely, if you're looking for a solution, you're wanting some alternative solutions, that is one that, that's easy to go with. Uh, buying propane, if you have a Walmart uh, I have found that buying it from Walmart seems to be the cheapest. Um, usually like around 18 or 19 bucks, uh, that's if you're trading it in. If you're buying tanks, um, it's, it's cheaper to buy them from Walmart. Um, I would always open up, take the cap off, and look inside and make sure that you do have one of the rubber uh, grommets in there because I have purchased one before that didn't have the rubber grommet and the the propane just seeped out just very quickly when I was cooking so uh, I always do that I've never found one since but you, you just I just do it from here on out so um, have multiple propane takes you know that's that's just one of the things that you definitely want to have but you can also have those camping grills and he talked about those uh, he talked about the four burner or the the one burner I, I like the two burner uh, stoves that you can get like um, the Coleman ones or Walmart has a, an off-brand one that oh, we did buy one of those as well and um, you know it, it has worked perfectly and you can buy those little propane canisters they're usually cheap you can sometimes you can get them on sale you can store a whole bunch of them and one of them will last for a long long time you can also if you have propane the big propane tanks that go into uh, that you're using for your barbecue grill you also can get uh, just a conversion hose that will go onto that big propane tank and then uh, convert down to a smaller uh, uh, to a smaller fitting where you can use that on your on your uh, little camp stove with the two burners on there and that will last a whole whole long time. The other thing that I would say is you might want to have um, like a backpacking stove. 
Uh, I was very, very impressed with the solo stoves. They, um, I did a review on one, and when you go, when you do a vi- when you look for videos on YouTube and you're looking for people doing solo stove, even the people, even the solostove.com website, th- they don't do it correctly. At least you know you see them dropping in uh, wood and then they're lighting it at the bottom and then they start dropping in more wood. It's really supposed to be used as a top up draft system. So you fill it up completely with wood and you start the fire on the top and it heats as it heats up the the wood below. I mean, it will consume all of it, but as it heats up the wood below, it causes it to gas off and those gases are burned and it's a very, very clean burn and uh, you'll see it. It's like jets. I'm going to link to the review that I did and you can see in the picture that it's like, it's like jets coming up and at the very, very end, I mean, you can burn anything. So, um, you know, anything small, you can get it going and it, it completely burns it down to almost nothing at the end. You know, whatever's left over, just as long as you know for sure that it's not hot, you can go throw it in the compost pile. But um, what I would say is when you're when you're thinking about like building a backyard bonfire, uh, you do need to have a grill. I, I did buy one time at a thrift store uh, an old oven grill um you know that would go into an oven and i did buy it we did use it up in the country first couple of times around before we had the barbecue grill up there we had some cinder blocks and we built a fire in between and we put that grill on top and that's where we did our steaks uh you know we ate really well up there that's where we did our steaks you know on that on that grill and i still have it still it's still available to be used but when you talk about building a bonfire you're wasting a lot of wood there. You're putting a lot of wood uh, on to, to do that. And so that's why I'm saying the solo stove, you're using a little bit of wood and you're, uh, you know, you're maximizing that, only putting in what you need. So definitely you do need to have, we're blessed here. Um, you know, our house has, uh, has gas uh so we have natural gas coming in and so our stove and our oven is run on natural gas when hurricane ike came through houston uh we did turn it on one time to cook and it just heated up the house so much of course because electricity was off that we learned our lesson is like now you know we don't need to do that and we were just like we're just going to turn it on for really quick i think we were doing coffee and we're like we're just going to turn it on really quick to do some coffee and even that little bit heated up the house uh, quick. So uh, we moved, you know, from there we moved outside and, and just used a little camp stove. So uh, we're blessed that we have that if we need that. But you got to understand that if you're in a, you know, if it's not a winter situation, if it's, uh, you know, summer outside for you, it's going to be, it'll really, really heat up your house and make it uncomfortable to, uh, to be in. All right. Well, guys, that's it for episode 43. I hope you enjoyed it. I think we had some really great articles today. You know, Gray Man over at Smart. Uh, smart prepper gear and also homestead survival site with seven best ways to cook without electricity definitely want to go check out those uh, um, articles or websites because they always have links that you want to go uh, check out and and videos and things and then uh, just uh, you know thankful for survivor jane's uh, interview i learned a lot there and good stuff Uh, like always i want to be linking to you know these articles and survivor jane and i'll link to that review on the solo stove in the, in the show notes if you're interested in going and checking that out. Hey, if you haven't done so, I'd like to uh, invite you to this journey, right, of living this more self-reliant life. Um, we have a, a mailing list that you can sign up for. It's on the website. If you go to uh, the prepper website, podcast.com, 
you can go up to the menu bar and just you know click there and uh, when you when you sign up for the email list you also get the free e-course that starts coming to you a lot of people are taking advantage of that I'm also inviting you out to the Facebook group and to become a part of that we're just trying to build a community where people are learning from each other and uh, that we are learning to become more self-reliant not just preppers and not just you know getting the gear kind of like what Survivor Jane was talking about but you know learning how to live the self-reliant life right and uh, going from there so thanks so much for listening if you get a chance come by the website drop me a line in the comment section share the the episode out really appreciate that when people do that um you can we made it really easy for you on the, the left hand sidebar just made it very easy for you to share out uh the website and the episodes over there and uh if you get a chance connect with me online through social media facebook twitter instagram always love to to hear from uh people out there and see how they're doing all right so um As we continue on, uh, I'd like to leave you with this. Choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government, the grid, or the grind. Until next time, stay prepped and aware. Peace.